welcome to the third episode of our podcast's first season, Scary But True Campfire Stories, brought to you by Dudes Camping, hosted and narrated by Matthew S. Newbold. Thanks for listening, and please spread the word, tell your friends, tell your pets, post it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and any other social media outlet that censors truth from reaching your ears. Our goal is to share true stories of the strange, supernatural, ghostly, and unexplained as we gather around the virtual campfire. Or maybe you are sitting around a real campfire right now. Maybe you have a strange but true story that you'd like to share. Email us at dudescampingstories at gmail.com with your own Bigfoot, UFO, ghost, or unexplained supernatural story and we'll consider it for broadcast. Don't forget to visit us on YouTube and Facebook at Dudes Camping. This next tale is a true story about an incident that happened to me while playing with a Ouija board. Are they innocent toys, or are they tools to contact the dead? Or are they really tools used by supernatural forces to fool us into thinking we are contacting the dead? Kids seem to be drawn to mischief and disobedience like flies are drawn to honey on a hot day. Some kids will start smoking simply because they were given warnings by their parents. Others will start shoplifting just to rebel against authority. And then there was me. I was drawn to anything that I was told not to do. Don't disrespect the elderly, I was told. So I threw eggs at crotchety old Mr. Witherspoon's house and tore out all his flowers. Don't trespass on other people's property, I was told. So I snuck on the golf course at night and tore up the green with a rake. I was ruthless. The only thing I seemed to obey was don't do drugs. When it came to the supernatural and spiritual, I was told don't ever play with Ouija boards. That only lasted until I actually got my hands on one. Hasbro sold a Ouija board at Toys R Us that was marketed to look like a board game for children, so none of us took it seriously. What danger could a little board game pose on such obstinate kids as us? After all, the spirits only disturb the weak-minded and those willing to entertain them. At least, that's what we thought. I had heard stories about kids in high school having parties and breaking out the Ouija board for fun. Something strange would always happen to the girls because they were the most easily scared. Silly, I thought. One afternoon, when I was in seventh grade, I went over to my friend's house to hang out. He was one of the few kids that had a video camera, and occasionally we would record ourselves doing peculiar and funny things, so I was fully expecting to film another episode of our unscripted shenanigans. When I arrived at his house, Our other friend James had just been dropped off as well, and I asked them what we had planned for our private broadcast. Chris responded with a look of disappointment. My parents are at my brother's football game, and they took the camera with them, so no recording. Sorry. I was certainly disheartened by the news as Chris, James, and myself walked into the house. The good news was that his parents were gone. We just had to figure out what mischief we could do while they were away. We went down into his basement and made a couple prank phone calls, but when people stopped answering their phones, we moved on to the next illicit activity.
we seemed to be stumped on how to cause trouble until a flash of genius occurred to Chris and his face lit up. I know, he said, jumping to his feet. My mom has this Ouija board hidden under her bed. She never uses it. We can get it out and see if it works. James was hesitant and seemed to have a little more sense than us, but he saw the look of excitement on Chris's face. He immediately went from uncertain to what the heck, and we all agreed. Besides, this was the best thing we could come up with. Chris's family was from Mexico, and his parents were devout Catholics. You had to walk past a bloody Jesus hanging on the entryway, statues of saints all over the place, and the famous picture of the European Jesus hanging over their fireplace. They also had a 20-pound heirloom Bible that looked like it had never been opened before. I found the thought of his mother having a Ouija board under her bed quite amusing. When Chris returned, he held an old wooden box under his arm. It had patterns on it that reminded me of the wooden labyrinth game in which you manipulated the box to get the ball into a certain slot. We moved the furniture to clear some space and set the box down on the floor. He opened it and took out the planchette, which was a small heart-shaped piece that moves across the board. It was made from wood, not the cheap plastic in the Hasbro version. He took out the board and laid it upon the wooden box that it came in. It was made out of thick wood, and to my untrained eye, it looked to be a hundred years old. My first thought was that this was definitely not a Toys R Us Ouija board. We had stumbled onto something a little more mysterious. My second thought was, what in the heck is a Mexican Catholic doing with something like this? The board itself had the words yes and no inscribed on opposite sides. All the letters of the alphabet were written across the middle in two rows and the numbers zero through nine underneath. There were a couple of symbols in each corner and the word goodbye scrawled across the bottom. It didn't look menacing at all, but the feeling we got was very disturbing. Maybe it was placed in that strange box with the symbols for a reason. The Ouija board has a strange and mysterious history, almost as mysterious as how the thing actually works. It was invented by four businessmen that had no background in spiritism but wanted to capitalize on the spiritist movement that was booming in the late 1800s. Contrary to popular belief, Ouija is not the combination of the French word oui and the German ja for yes. During a session, the sister of one of the businessmen claimed to be a strong medium and asked the board what they should call it. The name Ouija came through, and when they asked what it meant, the board replied, good luck. There is a story that in order to get the patent they were seeking, the inventors had to prove to the patent officer that the board worked when he demanded a demonstration. If the board could accurately spell out his name, which was supposed to be unknown to them, he would allow the patent application to proceed. Needless to say, February 10th, 1891, the visibly shaken patent officer awarded them the patent. The board that we were looking at must have been one of the original spirit boards or talking boards because it looked old and it felt old. There was just an air about this thing that I've never experienced before. I really had no idea what I was messing with. I started out sitting across from James, 
and we put our fingers on the planchette. We began to move it in an arching motion across the board, and I asked the first question. Hello, do we have a spirit on the line? Chris laughed. You think we are making a phone call? I laughed too once I realized how silly the question sounded. Well, I've never done this before. What am I supposed to ask? I blurted out. Ask its name, James said. I looked at him and replied, Shouldn't we make sure that there is someone to ask first? We had no idea what we were doing, so we started over. We began the pattern of the planchette across the board again. Is there a spirit willing to talk to us? I asked. Our fingers did not deviate from the arch, and we got no response. Is anybody home? I said aloud, this time getting chuckles from the others, but still no response from the board. We are trying to reach a spirit. Would anybody like to talk to us? I asked a third time. This time, I was surprised to feel James pull the planchette over to the side and to the word no. He looked at me and said, You moved that, didn't you? No, I said, thinking he was just trying to convince me that he didn't move it himself. Whatever. What else should we ask it? This time, James asked the question. Are you a good spirit or an evil spirit? No answer again. Did you die of natural causes? He asked. Suddenly, I felt the tug again go to the word yes. Good, I thought. At least we weren't talking to the disembodied ghost of some angry murder victim. How old were you when you died? I asked. Almost immediately, I felt it go to the number two and then back to two. Twenty-two, Chris said, as he hovered over our progress. What is your name? I asked again. This time there was no immediate movement, almost a hesitation before it went to the letter W, then to C, H, L, I, then back to the pattern. I looked up at Chris to see if he understood or if I had missed something. Chili? I asked. He just gave me a confused shrug. All right, I said as I stood up. Obviously this thing doesn't like me or it just doesn't work. Let me try it, Chris said as he sat down in my place and put his fingertips on the planchette with James and they started circling the board. It was comical to be looking down at two guys with their legs crossed, eyes closed, and fingertips swaying in a circle over this piece of wood with a look on their faces like they were peeing. Chris finally spoke up. Are there any spirits here that wish to talk to us? I watched the pointer immediately move to the word yes. Are you a good spirit or an evil spirit? Chris quickly asked, and the thing moved directly over the word yes. I thought to myself that Chris had to be moving this thing because it didn't move that quick for me. Chris looked up at me and asked out loud, Yes? Are you an evil spirit? He was looking at me when his fingers moved with the planchette over the word yes. Chris jumped up like he had been stung by a bee with his hands in the air and shouted, Okay, that's it. I'm not messing with this thing anymore. I laughed because I was having a hard time believing they weren't just moving it themselves. No, I said. Do it again. You seem to get better results. Just try it and get a different spirit really thinking he should just move the pointer to no next time.
He agreed and sat back down for another round. Chris and James started off in the same circular motion as before when Chris broke the silence. Are there any spirits willing to talk to us? The planchette moved directly to the yes marker. Are you an evil spirit? James quickly interjected. This time the answer was a quick no. Excellent. We all gave a sigh of relief. Where are you from? I asked as I was standing over the two attached to the board. No answer. Maybe it didn't like the question or it was too broad. I asked a different question. What year did you die? Still no answer. What year did you die? I heard Chris ask. Without hesitation, the answer was one, two, zero, zero. Twelve hundred? You died in the year twelve hundred? Chris confirmed. The fingertips went to the word yes. I guess it just doesn't like you, James said with a sly grin. I think he knew that would set me off. Probably because the spirit is a pansy, I blurted out. Shut up, Chris hissed through his teeth and then continued. Can you show us a sign that you are real? That's a good one, I thought. Prove that you're not just a figment of our fingertips' imagination. There was no response from the board or the spirit or whatever we were talking to. Can you show us a sign that you are real? Chris asked again. This time the board gave us the answer, yes. Just at that moment, Chris's dog came walking into the basement and sat down on the floor. Chris and James both looked at me, not really believing it, but questioning the coincidence. I laughed out loud. There is no way that that dog walking down the stairs is a sign of anything. Chris turned back to the board and asked, Was that the sign? Was the dog the sign? He inquired calmly, not really believing it himself. No, came the answer from the spirit. At this point, I had had enough. Spirit or no spirit, real or fake, we were getting nowhere, and like we used to do when we had a trucker on the CB radio, I felt it was time to piss him off. If you're too much of a pansy to actually do something, then we are wasting our time with you, lame spirit. If you died and went to heaven, then you wouldn't be hanging around in spirit world waiting for somebody to call you, would you? I began laying the insults down pretty hard. After all, I thought, what could a disembodied spirit actually do to us? Almost like insulting a gorilla through a plexiglass window. Chris was enjoying the stream of insults, but something suddenly occurred to him, so he asked the spirit another question. Are you the same spirit we talked to before? Chili, the evil spirit? The answer came much quicker now, almost as if we had succeeded in pissing it off. Yes. Don't stop, I said as I sat down on the floor. It can't really do anything to us. Let's mess with him some more, I grinned. So you died in 1200, and you've been hanging around all this time, I said aloud mockingly. What a loser. See, I can insult you all I want, and there is not a thing you can do about it. You can't do anything to us. Before I even finished, the word no quickly flashed. I didn't really think I was in danger, so I continued the barrage of abuse. No? What does that mean? No, like be quiet, or no, like you can't touch us because you're just a lame spirit. I watched as Chris and James moved their hands to spell out the letters D, L, and L. 
I was on a roll at this point, so I continued to mock the so-called spirit. Boo! I mimicked in my best half-wit voice. What does that mean? You have been dead for 800 years and you still can't spell. Maybe it's Delilah. Maybe you are an illiterate little girl. For three boys just entering seventh grade, this was the worst insult you could use because we had absolutely zero experience with the finer sex. Delilah Chili, what a stupid name, I derided. The planchette moved quickly to the word no again, and then back to the hypnotic circuit around the board. I felt it was time to bring the big guns and trot out the challenge. Nothing was more insulting than challenging a person that couldn't do a thing about it. That's right, Delilah Chili, the pansy spirit that can't spell. What are you going to do about it, huh? You can't touch us and you know it. How about we go find your grave and pee on it? What would you do then? There are some things in life you wish you had never said. But like a tube of toothpaste, once it's out, you can't put it back in. It wasn't two seconds after I said this that I regretted it. As soon as I gave the challenge and the questionable insult, the basement went completely black. The lights went out, and we were left in complete darkness. It was like turning off your flashlight in a cave or the power going out in the whole neighborhood. Complete pitch darkness. Uh-oh, I thought. I heard James say, What the? And we all tried to stay as still and as silent as possible. My first thought was that Chris's brother came home and just turned the lights off. But his game could not have ended this soon. Maybe his parents? As I was seeking a logical explanation for the power outage, I began to hear a very deep, very low growl. The direction was indiscernible and sounded like a 300-pound tiger getting ready to pounce. I felt chills go through my entire core and asked Chris, Do you hear that? I got no response from him. I don't know if he didn't want to believe it or was unable to speak. Please tell me that's your dog, I said, unable to move from my spot on the floor. Suddenly, I heard Chris's voice sounding completely frightened. He started to chant, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. He couldn't remember the rest, so we just kept repeating that part. I sat in darkness, wondering to myself what horror I had just unleashed, and what this thing would actually do to me. This wasn't like pissing off a trucker on the CB radio or taunting the gorilla at the zoo. This was an entity that had no boundaries or limitations to what it could do if provoked. We had contacted a spirit, and I made it angry. After the fourth or fifth Hail Mary, the growl began to fade, and eventually we were left in silence and darkness. Five minutes had passed, and still I could not see my hand in front of my face. Just as quickly as they went out, the lights suddenly came back on again. We didn't know what to do. I looked at his dog, a small beagle, lying on the floor with his face on his paws as if nothing happened. There was no way that growl came from this animal, I thought. All three of us jumped to our feet and looked at each other in confusion. What did we just experience? Was it over yet? Chris grabbed the Ouija board and quickly put it back in its ornately decorated wooden box, not trying to be gentle at all. 
we went to the other side of the basement and moved some boxes aside, casting the strange thing down in the corner. Do you have a Bible? I asked him. Good idea, he said, and ran upstairs to grab the family's giant heirloom Bible, which had never been read, and tossed it on top of the forbidden object as we piled more boxes on top of it. Are your parents home yet? I asked Chris, hoping that maybe my original assertion was correct. No, he said, looking at his watch. The game's not over for another hour. He looked over at the corner. Then who turned off the lights? James asked, disbelieving what took place. There are psychologists that believe the Ouija board is nothing more than the unconscious movements of those controlling the pointer. They call it the idiomotor effect. But with such parsimonious studies, they refuse to acknowledge the other strange phenomenon that accompanies this item of the occult. William Peter Blatty, the author of The Exorcist, actually based his book on the commonalities he found in well-known cases of demon possessions. He also focused on a verified case of a boy that was possessed by a demon, a demon that began as a friendly spirit whom the boy contacted through a Ouija board. Despite what psychologists and even some paranormal and supernatural experts think, these boards are actually a tool or an entry for spirits to enter into our realm. The Bible warns about such things and forbids people to try and contact the dead. Why? Because they are not who they say they are. The Apostle John states that we cannot trust the spirits, but we are to test them to see if they're from God. Satan will disguise himself as an angel of light, but he is really the father of lies. How do we know then if we have a good spirit or an evil spirit speaking to us through the board? First of all, a good spirit will confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, according to 1 John 4.2. And secondly, a good spirit will never contact a person through a Ouija board. When he was told to inquire of the mediums and necromancers who chirp and mutter, Isaiah responded, Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? We were foolish kids and didn't know what we were playing with. Unfortunately, the game that I played that day ended up taking me down a path that I wasn't able to free myself from until I fully understood the price that the Lamb of God had to pay to redeem me. What did we mess with? Did we contact a demon or did we just fool ourselves into thinking we did? Were the lights just a coincidence? Was I playing with spiritual forces beyond my control that were trying to lead me to hell, whatever that is? To quote Walter Martin, Whatever hell's dimension may be, one thing is absolutely certain. If it required the death of the most perfect being who ever lived to deliver us from it, then it is to be avoided at all costs. Thanks for listening to Scary But True Campfire Stories presented by Dudes Camping, narrated by Matthew S. Newbold. You can purchase audiobooks from Matthew S. Newbold on Audible and iTunes. Visit Matthew Newbold Music on Facebook or Dudes Camping on YouTube and Facebook. Any character's likeness is pure coincidence. We are not encouraging the use of occult items such as Ouija boards, nor do we condone them. You know what? Just stay away from them didn't you listen to the story? Until next time, we will see you around the campfire.